This is Chad Brashears, and you're listening to Never In My Wildest Dream podcast. This podcast is about creating a behind-the-scenes look with coaches, fans, and reporters from our point of view, sharing cool stories as only we've lived them. The goal is for you to learn something new to help your life and allow yourself to take a break from everyday chaos and let us give you a behind-the-scenes look into our world. Never In My Wildest Dreams podcast begins in... Good morning and welcome to Never My Wildest Dream Podcast. Today is Wednesday, the 27th of January, 2021, last Wednesday of the month. It is Wisdom Wednesday. Looking forward to giving you some information on Wisdom Wednesday. Have a good friend Dave Groover from UGG on the call today, as well as some sports. Let's start in the sporting world. We will first start at Major League Baseball. For the first time since 1960, the membership of the National Baseball Hall of Fame will remain frozen. No player will be written in on this class from the Baseball Writers Association of America ballot. None of them reached the 75% threshold needed for enshrinement in Cooperstown. There is a 10-year window where each player's name is put on the ballot for 10 years. After that 10 years, they can only be enshrined through different veteran groups of votes. And the three players that were on the list that got high votes but didn't get high enough were Kurt Schilling, Roger Clemens, and Barry Bonds. They got one year left. Now, Kurt Schilling has already come out publicly and said he wants his name removed from the ballot for next year. He doesn't feel as though baseball writers have any idea what it actually takes to be a player to get in. This is his quotes on mine. So that's where the baseball world stands. Still have not heard anything about spring training. We're about 10 days or so away from when pitchers and catchers are to report. So we will be talking about more baseball once that starts. On to college basketball. Oklahoma went into Texas and knocked them off last night, 80-79. to Oklahoma's ranked 24th, Texas is ranked 5th. Alabama ends the game on a 16-4 run to knock out Kentucky, 70-59. to Auburn beats Missouri 88-82 at home yesterday in SEC play. Tennessee squeaks by against Mississippi State 56-53. And Dayton knocks off St. Louis yesterday at St. Louis 76-71. That is all the scores in the top 25. In ACC action, North Carolina goes into Pittsburgh and wins 75-65. And Duke beats Georgia Tech 75-68 at home. As I spoke on Monday with regards to the Aaron Rodgers information, he listened to his podcast on Pat McAfee's show yesterday for about 45 minutes. All signs show that he will be back in Green Bay. Like he said, it was emotional. He had to answer some dumb questions from the media. He also believes that there's no guarantees in the NFL and that nothing is promised. And he was just kind of reiterating stuff that he's already said. And he said, I've said this before. I don't know why it's a big deal now, but that does make me feel a little bit better as a Packer shareholder. Um, I do know that Mark Murphy, the president of the Packers, also said, are you kidding me? He is not going anywhere in his radio show that he did on Tuesday morning. With that being said, we're going to go to the Wednesday Wisdom section, and we will be back here shortly. Never in my wildest dreams podcast begins in... Welcome back to Never My Wildest Dream Podcast. We are going to talk Wednesday wisdom. I try to find different things and listen to different people. And this one caught my eye and I'm going to read it to you. And it kind of correlates a lot with everybody's lives and daily lives. I think this one hit at home a little bit for a lot of people. Pressure is a privilege. As entrepreneurs, business leaders, school leaders, we play for pressure. 
Behind the wall of pressure is where the gold is. Pressure weeds out every piece of competition. If you do not have enough pressure on your shoulders and you shy away from the pressure, or you don't even want that pressure, then you're not made for the seat that you sit in. Leadership is a privilege, not a right. And too many who make it to this level and sit in those seats aren't ready for the pressure. Their performance shows it. Want to be a great leader, business executive, entrepreneur? You need to wake up every morning, eat pressure for breakfast before the sun comes up, and you will start becoming successful on a daily basis. This is my Wednesday wisdom. Dave Groover from UGG will be on next. Never in my wildest dreams podcast begins in... Welcome back to Never My Wildest Dreams podcast. Looking forward to my next guest. He is a family friend. He's becoming a very close friend of mine. We're able to kind of connect on a lot of different ways. Dave Groover went to Goretti for high school. He went to North Carolina Wesleyan for college where he did play college basketball. We're going to talk about that. After he graduated, he spent 12 years with Elizabeth Arden. After that, he spent four to five years in the Belgian chocolate world, and he's now coming up on his 11th year working for UGS as the director of North America, which I think is an awesome title, especially as a Gretty graduate, that one of my fellow alums is doing this. Dave, welcome to the show. Chad, thanks for having me. It's an uh, honor and privilege to be able to chat a little bit. Thanks for having me on. Hey, you're very welcome. You and I are able to catch up every once in a while and just kind of reminisce, and we shoot more texts than we do phone calls, so I'm really looking forward to this. So how catch up. How did you, okay, so you play for Garetti for Cokie Robertson, which is kind of where all of this starts because you have my mom as a teacher, if I'm not mistaken, I think prior to even being married. Is that correct? That That is correct. And, and Chad, I'll take it back a little bit further, and it, it ties into the whole Garetti thing. But I can remember in 1974 with a, a rolled up piece of paper and a, a little garbage in the corner of my bedroom listening to the South High champ, uh, State Championship game with your dad playing and Nick Scallion was the coach. Um, and I was pretend, pretending I was Mike Brashears in my bedroom. <laughs> um, and it was, uh, that was the first time I heard the Brashears name or familiar with it. And then you're right about your mom. I had, um, I had a lovely young lady by the name of Carol Cochran, I believe is my psychology teacher my freshman year at Goretti. So that was my uh, introduction to your family. And, and you know, and, and our family said, if we go back to 74, I know you're really good friends. We're going to talk about that with Mark Scallion, which was Coach Scallion's son. I know you guys are really good friends as well. Um, you know, it goes back to 74, and ironically, we get tied back to one thing, and that's basketball and doing the right thing and good people. And, and that's what you and your family are. So I want to, you know, mention that to you while we're here on the show. You played at North Carolina Wesleyan. You got recruited by a guy by the name of Coach McCarthy. And you also played for a Coach Reynolds. How is your relationship with them still now that you've graduated? Do you still keep in contact with those guys? With, with, with both of them. Um, you know, Coach Mack... He, you know, I, I, was, I was fortunate, and, and we mentioned Karate a couple of times already, but, you know, when, when we we finished up my senior year and, and Koki was was great, and, he, you know, he knew I loved the game, and he said, you know, let's, we'll, we'll work on this, and we'll find a place for you to, to play, and I, I did. I had, I had a couple options, all smaller. Division three schools, whether it was St. Mary's or Lebanon Valley, you know, schools, Mary Washington was, was, was an option, but mm-hmm. Coach Mack had, had um 
come up to to Hagerstown and, and spend an afternoon with me and really blew me away. In fact, you know, after the fact, well, after the fact, about a year later, Koki told me, because Dave, I, I was really, ha- I really had concerns with you going there. I actually thought it was too good of a program for you. Um, so we, we laugh about that now, but, but Coach McCarthy gave me a chance to, to play at one of the better Division Three programs in the country at the time, mm-hmm. four great years there. Um, Coach Mack still, still talks to my dad. Um, to this day and uh, is, was, was a great influence on me. Um, and then Coach Reynolds, uh, a unique situation. You know, Coach McCarthy left after my sophomore year and went on to take the job at the, as athletic director of the Norfolk Naval Base mm-hmm. in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, Coach Reynolds was at Macon, was a Hal Nunley disciple and part okay. of that tree. Um, he loved Mark Scallion, tried to get Scal to go to Macon. Um, when, when he was there, um, also very much recruited Pat Muldowney. <laughs> okay. So he ends up with me instead of uh, Mark Scallion and Pat Muldowney. So there was uh, some disappointment from the very beginning. So we actually did, we had a, our relationship did not get off to a great start. Um, I wasn't one of his guys and, um, but we persevered through that. And, you know, I can talk, talk about it a little bit later on. Uh, but, but coach Reynolds has ended up being, one of the more important people in my life to this day. And, um, you know, that's a relationship now that's, you know, 30 some odd years old and one of the most loyal, um, caring, authentic guys that I know, um, both, you know, in, within the basketball world and, and even in the business world. You know, a lot of people don't understand, and I've been fortunate enough with me playing D3 ball and playing in the old Dixie Conference and then be turned into USA South while I was at Shenandoah University. I enjoyed my trips to Everett Gymnasium. I uh, always shot the ball really well in Everett Gymnasium against John Thompson. I have a lot of, they were the fun years. And I was fortunate enough, as I shared with you before we got on the air, that um, John and I were able to connect again when I started coaching. And it's, he's a good dude. And so John Thompson took over. Oh man, he's he's been a twenty plus twenty five plus years now, hasn't he? Yeah, but after Reynolds, a, a guy came in was was a real a real good guy. And still, you know, he's he um, Bill Chambers. In fact, um, Coach Chambers played at Carolina under Dean Smith. Um, after Reynolds left, Chambers came in. I, I think Bill was there for for maybe 10, 10 years or so, um, and then Thompson came in, and, and John's been there for almost twenty five years now. So, and that's rare at, at a Division three school. Very. Uh, to have two or three coaches over the course of a 30 or 40 year span. It's, you know, those are hard jobs. They're not easy jobs at all. So very, very loyal guys that loved what they did. So division three basketball, for those that are listening that really don't understand division three basketball, it is a unique experience that will give you memories for an absolute lifetime. So you have a couple really cool ones. I mean, you guys beat some division two teams while you were at um, NC West, didn't you? Yeah, we, we had a, <clears throat> I, I'd like to say, well, I do. I, I have fun with the guys. I say I should, be, I should have been our sports information director, but I've, we've <laughs> gone back in the, the four years that I played, and, and I, I had two other um, guys that came in with me, Lloyd Watts and Charlie Hoffman, that to this day are, are still great friends. Um, our senior class was the, is, is the winningest class in, in the history of, of Wesleyan basketball. Um, the year before I got there, and I think this is where Koki got concerned. You know, Coach McCarthy comes up, and and back then there was no laptop or iPad. He had this big scrapbook, and mm-hmm. in 1980, the 82-83 season, um, they went down to Texas, lost to the University of Texas by seven. The same year, they beat VMI by 15. 
Oh, wow. Um, played William and Mary very, very tough. And then, you know, during my four years, we, we had some fun. We, um, we, I'm trying to think, my, my freshman year, we played the Naval Academy, which mm-hmm. also had a six foot seven inch freshman by the name of David Robinson on the uh, other end of the bench. And mm-hmm. Chad, there's a great story to put in perspective. They beat us by about 15, and it was it was a good game. I mean, we were down 10 most of the game, and you know, at the end, you know, a minute or two left, you know, they, they emptied the benches, and, and I was part of that flow that went into the game. David Robinson did not play in that game very much at all. He he might have played five minutes. Wow. Um, so that just goes to show you the the quantum leap that he took from you know that holiday Christmas time of his freshman year for the next three and a half years. What happened to him? Um, but you know, we we had we had the opportunity to play some some great teams. Um, St. Bonaventure in Olean, New York, was a, a great experience. East Tennessee State, we played when Les Robinson was their mm-hmm. their head coach, so some good experiences that way. Um, but to me, the the most meaningful games, and, and more from a personal standpoint, because the you know we played in, as you mentioned the, the Dixie Conference, which is now. Um, USA South is, is mainly Virginia and uh, North Carolina teams. Yeah. But we did get to play. We played Shepard my junior year. Mm-hmm. And personally, probably the most meaningful win we they had. Um, Bobby Chewy was a great player. Carlton Branson, I believe, was a, a point guard from Jefferson and played for them. Mm-hmm. We, we beat them by 15 or 20. And um, I remember my dad, after the game, walked up. He actually had tears in his eyes. It was that, that meaningful to, to our family. Um, and then my senior year, we actually played Frostburg State, an attorney, and um, wasn't even it wasn't. I think we beat them by about twenty. So there were great players. I mean, my, my college roommate played in Ireland, played overseas for a few years, and um, very very competitive. And I, I don't know if people really understand. You know, those. You know, Coach Mack used to say it. Very very good Division two programs could could beat a lot of Division One programs. Sure. Back to Mount St. Mary's, mm-hmm. you know, when, sure. when they were Division II. Yep. And, and we had our shot at, at, at Division Two and Division One teams that, that, that um, we competed very nicely against. Now, you said you uh, beat Stan Van Gundy. Where did he coach when you guys played against him? <laughs> this goes to show you how. I mean, I, we, we were in a tournament in Lexington, Virginia. We uh, So I guess that would have been the Washington and Lee I would say W&L, yeah. We play this team... And this Reynolds was the coach. It was my junior year. We're playing Castleton State. And I mean, who, the, who the hell's Castleton State? <laughs> but they uh, they had a a guy by the name of Crispin White, who Reynolds swore was the second coming of Charles Barkley. And um, their coach was none other than than Stan Van Gundy. And um, I tell Reynolds to this day, you know, that was that was one of his better coaching victories ever. But we we got those guys that night as well. So. Um, Again, just fortunate to bump into to situations like that, and the, the people that you you don't realize what happens. You know, whether it's David Robinson story or the Stan Van Gundy story, um, Sal Thompson played on that Texas team. So there, there's some things there that um, you know. It's, it's just it's, it's great to be able to have those interactions with people down the road that that you realize that the level of competition you were playing against, you, you did okay. Now, I, I have to – you mentioned this. We're going to have to run with it just for fun, though. You beat Shenandoah seven out of eight games against him. Is that correct? That, Chad, that is correct, and <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up on, on air versus off air. But, no, they – and, you know, the game they got us, it was, it was interesting. My sophomore year, we ended up – we started out 9-1. and one. We lost to St. Bonaventure 
the game before we, we had a little break for holiday. Um, I think we got up to about 13 and one, 14 and one go to Winchester and they had a, a guard by the name of Tony Tucker, I believe. Oh right? yeah. Tony's two. second all time leading scorer. He could play a little bit. Yep. Number two in the country. <clears throat> and, um, they, you guys got us good that night. We just, we just did not play well. Um, and uh, it's funny that that was our, our highest ranked team, but I don't think it was by far not our our, our best team at all. But um, yeah, that's the one loss I remember. You, you guys knocked off either I don't know if we were number we we're in the top five in the country at that point. Whether we were number three or number two, we we were up there when, when they they uh, when you guys got us. You know, people really don't realize, and I'm going to segue that with with how we step into the next part of what you and I are going to talk about. People don't understand how competitive college athletics are. And what I think as being a fortunate player, and then I was able to coach at both at the JUCO and the D3 level, is that it is extremely competitive. And it's kind of, I'll say cutthroat, that's not a fair term, but it is kind of cutthroat. You got to go get the best kids, you got to run the best stuff, you got to have the best facilities and uniforms and travel in order to coax these kids to want to come to you. But it trans. It, uh, it's a transition right into the real world. I mean, you went graduated and you went right to Elizabeth Arden, which, you know, you worked there for 12 years. How competitive was it to get into places like that? And we're going to go down the line of where you where you work, but was the competitive nature of being a student athlete transitioned right into the working world for you? Chad, it, it, it does, and, and <clears throat> I, I think it's critical. And, and I... And I never, I don't think once, especially in the last last 15 years, I, I, when I interview people or I talk to people or I, I you know, they ask me for, for direction or insights or you know, mentoring, I, I, never, I never ask about what was your GPA. You know, I might talk about what their major was, but I, I you know, we start to talk about things that they did away from the classroom um, more so than anything. And, um, it's, it's very competitive and, and I'll even go back to Goretti, you know, my mom and dad, how, how they did some of the things that they did financially. I'm not sure, but you know, I, I had a morning paper route. <laughs> I, I had seven yards that I mowed in the summertime. Um, you know, there's a famous guy that lives, lived off of, um, old route 40 Denzel polling that, that we worked for in the, in the summertime. Um, I'd get up at, at five in the morning and be out there. Um, and then that even, you know, those habits of, of working hard translate to basketball. I mean, in, at that level, you know, we go play Christopher Newport and, and leave Rocky Mount at two in the afternoon and we show up, we play, we get back on a van at 10 and we pull in at two in the morning. We got to be at class at eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. There's a discipline and, and a passion that you have to have that, you know, if you don't have that, you don't last all four years. Yeah. And, and those kind of experiences and, and working through those things and being committed, absolutely transferable to, to the world of business. In fact, if I, I think if you don't have those things, your chances of, of success, you know, it's, it's, it becomes very, very difficult to, to have um, a high level of success. If you don't have those kind of fundamentals and foundations as, as part of your mindset um, and, and basketball absolutely has contributed to my to my successes and um, and it has nothing to do with what happened during the season. It was out of season. It was in the locker room. It was in the dorm. It's it's all those things, much more so than the, the true wins and losses. 
you left Elizabeth Art and you got into the chocolate world. How did you get into the chocolate world? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I don't know. That's the one thing. I don't know how I got into any of this other than <laughs> I was at the, at the right place at the, at, at the right time. Um, I, I just, I had, I was, when I was with Arden, um, at the time I was the director of North America travel retail and that was right before nine 11 okay. and nine 11 happened. And that whole travel retail business basically collapsed because it was, it was airport retailing. It was, you know, hotel resort destinations and, you know, Bermuda and the Bahamas tax free zones, that kind of stuff. And a great, great business for us. But when travel was cut, um, you know, we, we consolidated, did some different things. I was offered a job in, with Arden Finance, and it wasn't a passion of mine. Um, and we had just had our, our um, second daughter, and I decided to stay home for about six months and, and play dad. And it was the best thing I ever did. Um, and then coming out of that, a, a friend had called me and said, there's a, a company that would love to get started in the States. It's a, a Belgian um, chocolate company, and they want to do high-end retail with Neiman's and Nordstrom's and Saks can can you help them and so really it was a, a that kind of, of scenario that, that happened and it was a blast I mean I had four or five great years with them um, before I, I got into what I'm doing right now and so now we're at UGG the, Aust- the Australian company is that correct am I, am I understand that correctly it's an Australian based company it, it is Chad actually no <laughs> that, that is um, but I mean we it's that's the, the general general um, perception it, it, it is but okay. what happened and in, in, um, a, a gentleman by the name of Brian Smith um, he you know from Australia but he um, in Australia when they, they surf it was really a men's surf brand okay. um, and the idea is it's absolutely Australian where they put on these sheepskin boots when they get done surfing and it's a little chilly they put these boots on and they, they caught them mugs and the guy loved the idea, and he was in Southern California, and this was in um, the uh, early 70s. You know, he, he'd be in San Diego or L.A. and, and watch these, these people surf, mainly, again, mainly men. That's how it started, a men's surf brand. Hmm. Um, nobody would have anything to put on their feet when they got out of the water. And so Brian, is, is most of these, like, success stories you hear about, it's a passion and they're doing it out, you know, out of the out of their garage, or in this case, he had you know 144 pairs flown over or shipped over, and was selling out of the back of his van um, in parking lots of of um, beaches, and and that's how it got started. Um, so the the actual brand today uh, was it started in the U.S. and the concept comes from Australia. Gotcha. Um, the brand started as UGG Australia. And I think about eight years ago, we legally, our name is now just UGG. And because of some legal issues, we, we've dropped the name Australia. Um, so it's just UGG. Um, part of our parent company is Deckers. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, about a $2 billion brand, and which is, is huge. But to help put that in perspective, Nike is about about 35 billion. So um, in, in our world, $2 billion is a, a niche. But we... Um, you know, UGG is an awesome brand. Deckers is a parent company. is culturally is a, is a great place. We own a couple other brands, um, one called T 
Teva, which is an action sport sandal. Mm-hmm. And then, and if you've never had a pair, um, we own actually the fastest growing running specialty shoe um, in the world right now called Hoka, H-O-K-A. I've seen those. And, um, Hoka is, is well on its way to becoming a, a billion-dollar brand. We're not there yet, but in a couple more years, we will be. But I'm fortunate and blessed to, to work on the UGG brand, um, and it's uh, it's it's opened uh, doors for me both both um, professionally and, and personally, and and that I never never would have expected. And I'm, you know, I always say my my little catchphrase, and even when things are are, are tough, you know, I, I've been blessed, lucky, and fortunate in, in so many ways to have an association with this company. And, uh, and you know, you and I talked last week, and we talked a little bit before we got on, that, you know, it does open doors. It's opened some doors with you at West Virginia. And I know as a person that grew up in the state of West Virginia, that's kind of like your professional sports team and everything up there. You know, that's like, and I know with your dad, it, Huggins is a big deal, and, you know, going to the Coliseum and all that stuff. We, I remember having a lot of those conversations with Jake, but... How has UGG and West Virginia kind of tied stuff together for you, and, and how has West, the relationship with West Virginia been for you? Probably the, one of the most satisfying things I've done, uh, you know, other than being a, a, a parent, um, a father, and uh, what's happened there, it all happened by, by happenstance. I mean, I, you know, I, my, most of my, you know, my mom and dad grew up in the Eastern Panhandle, but, you know, dad moved to Hagerstown, and so I, I grew up in Hagerstown, but you know, cousins and everything's still here. But we were we were WVU fans. We weren't Maryland fans, and I, we'd always go, you know, the three hours um, west towards Morgantown versus College Park. And mm-hmm. some of my best memories are going to WVU football games or basketball games. But Chad, it was about ten years ago, and it was a chance encounter. I um, we had a rare event. In fact, we were opening up. UGG was opening up a shop and shop at Bloomingdale's. 159th Street on a Saturday, and we very rarely did anything on a Saturday. And West Virginia had a football game. You know, like, I got to figure out how to how to catch at least the first half. So right. <laughs> I um, I run into a bar where I knew the game would be on, and the dean of the WVU Business School happened to be in the bar, and we just you know started chatting. And I at the end of the conversation, I said, "Listen, if if you're ever back in New York, or you ever want to have any students." Any way we can help, I'd love to have you to the to the UGG showroom and the UGG offices, and that was it. And I didn't change business cards. I, I thought that would be about the end of it. Um, about six weeks later, I get a phone call from the president's office, and at the time, um, Jim and, and Beth Clements, who are now the president and first lady at Clemson, um, Beth wanted to, to come to the showroom and she brought about six other people um, and a couple students and we had an awesome visit and out of that became a um, really a relationship that allowed us to, to help WVU kids and that you know we've had since that time we've had about 15 interns from Morgantown nice. come spend the summer at the young offices um, we've gone out there and have spoken to both their business and economic school, um, given presentations. 
And then, and it's it's interesting, their fashion design and merchandising programs actually sit in the Reed School of Agriculture. Hmm. Um, and people often ask me, why why is a fashion, why isn't that at least part of the business school? Um, but but most of most large public universities are, are um, something Abraham Lincoln did, uh, the Land Grant University Act. Um, you know, he his whole thing was to, to make sure that coming out of the Civil War that you know, people knew how to live off of the land and making clothes came from agriculture. So that's where a lot of major universities, you'll see the, the fashion school sitting in the agricultural school. I never knew that. Um, but out of that came some great things. And, you know, I, I hadn't given any, you know, it wasn't about money or donations or anything like that. It was about giving your time. And, and you know, the both Jim and, and now the president there, Gordon Gee, their big thing is, you know, developing their students and getting them ready for, for after college. And they are very, very appreciative of, of anyone that gives their time because that's our most valuable asset. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, to do that and, and help some kids. And, and out of that has some, some wonderful relationships have, have developed. And, um, and you know this, and I got cancer, you know, going on five years now and mm-hmm. I had some choices. I, I could have gone to Sloan Kettering in, in New York. Um, I could have gone to Hopkins, but quite frankly, an appointment time at either of those places was about four weeks and I uh, called out the WVU and um, I said, you know, I, I just want to get a little biopsy and can you guys help me out here? And um, they did and, and it was eye-opening for me and it's probably the re- more more so now today than ever it's helped me find my why, but when I was out there those couple of days and, um, you, you go through these, you know, that first day, especially I had four or five different appointments and I didn't have to sit in the waiting rooms for, for a real long time, but you sit there for five or 10 minutes and you look around and you see people that are living in situations that are, that are much worse than anything you could imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, you realize how lucky you are. And, um, that state is, I think it's 1.8 million people. Mm-hmm. Um, the hardships are, are well documented. The stereotypes are, are, are very evident. Um, so you want to, you know, when you're, you're fortunate, you want to give back. And I also think that's that's a responsibility is, is to give back. And it just struck me that, you know, here are some people that have been awful kind to me. And all of a sudden it opened my eyes that, you know, this is something I want to, I want to help. And I, I want to be able to give back to the state and um, be, be part of something that, that helps others um, break a, a pretty vicious cycle. Um, so it's, it's turned out, you know, a, a chance meeting and it would have never happened if it wasn't UG. Um, to, you know, not getting some good news that, hey, you got cancer to, you know, then being out there and seeing how people live and, mm-hmm. you know, it gives you a, a, a way to help and give back. It's, it's almost a, almost meant to be for me um and it'll help define me for for the rest of my life about how i I give back to that state and and hopefully help others um that are less fortunate now i know you and i talked with you know with having cancer and battling that and beating cancer and you know all that stuff you said coach reynolds is big in texting you still to this day every day giving you some positive motivation (laughs) to win the day yep he um so my roommate, I mentioned Lloyd um, earlier, and you know, a great player, and his wife. Um, 
Helene was was two years older than us, but Helene about seven or eight years ago was diagnosed with the same cancer that Robin Roberts has. Okay. And, um, you know, that's a grim, I mean, that's not a good diagnosis. No. Um, and then, you know, I, I was about a year and a half, two years later and Helene to this day, you know, knock on wood is, is still doing well, but, but coach Reynolds started, you know, about, about four and a half years ago, every day he sends a text to Lloyd and I, something that is uplifting and motivating and or challenging mind you Mm -hmm. um every day and and you know three or four days out of the week you you know he's he read something and and sent it along and and, um shared it with us but those other two or three days he he personalizes it and sends us something to think about you know every morning about seven o'clock my phone beeps I, i know who it is and um to this day he does it and We'll, we'll talk um, talk about once every three months and, and um, have a great conversation. He, and again, I, I go back to what I said originally. Coach Ryan, I didn't like him. I mean, I, you know, there were times I didn't like Koki either. <laughs> Likewise. Um, <laughs> but there's, you know, though I, I look at those two people that, and, and in different, different reasons, but they challenged us to, to, to go to places we, we probably wouldn't have gotten to if, if they hadn't pushed us as hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Coach Reynolds, I, you know, I, I it, even in my junior year, I thought, you know, I, I can't play for this guy. And the best thing I ever did was figure that out and, 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 and finished up there. And um, if I had, you know, somebody said, you have three phone calls to make, he, he would be one of them um, if, if I needed help. Right. So just a very loyal, great guy. And, you know, it's funny you said that about Coach. I mean, you know, Coach Robertson was, you know, I worked for the guy. I played for the guy. Um, he was unbearable at times. But now as a head coach who leads roughly, you know, 50 young men from poverty-stricken locations, I'm just as unbearable. And I didn't understand why I was being unbearable until you take a step back and realize that all I'm trying to do is get the best out of them. And I've kind of had to change that a little bit, to be completely honest with you. And, and you, I shared that with you, you know, the other day when we talked that I had to kind of bring the beach mode to it a little bit. I mean, a more chill, relaxed atmosphere for the guys, because as I've gotten older, I realized that the pressure they experience at home is a hell of a lot more than what you and I experienced at home. So we've got to have a place where they can come and release that stress and that pressure. So you know, squeezing them a little bit to get some more out of them was not the right way to go. It was more kind of, you know, patting them on the back and I'd get more out of them. But, you know, Coach Reynolds and for me, I had played for Coach Harris and obviously Koki, you know, they pressed you to get you to a place that you probably weren't going to get to. But because of that, we are where we are today, which is really a, a great place to be. I, I would not trade trade either of those, I mean, especially Koki. I mean, if, if it wasn't if it wasn't for Koki, I, I wouldn't be where I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I remember and even, you know, I guess it was fifth, sixth grade. He, he'd open those gyms every Saturday morning. We'd be out at the gym mm-hmm. um, playing basketball. And out of that, and, and probably his camps a little bit, um, if I wouldn't have gone to Goretti, I, I, I would have gone to South. And I, I don't know if I would even have play basketball I, 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 I'd like to think I would have but I don't think I would have been afforded the same opportunities at, at, at 
coming out of South it, it, that I got out of out of Goretti. Mm-hmm. And that's not, I mean, both of my sisters went to South High. They, they loved it. And, you know, obviously your, your, your dad, the successes from that. So it, was, it wasn't about South, just Goretti was a perfect fit for me. Right. And um, the way that the, the Koki got the best out of us was was an, an awesome experience. And there's less there's lessons there to, to this day that I use, not only for myself, but I use for the, you know, I, I always joke and I tell people, I don't know how the hell I ended up in, in fashion and beauty. I was, I suppose I ended up being a college basketball coach. Um, but in reality, I, I have, I have a team and, and mm-hmm. I'm a coach and I have people that, you know, it's you, when you think about the responsibility of, you know, they have families to feed, they have mortgages to pay. Um, you want to, you want to coach them and direct them and lead them to, to a place that we're, we're always, you know, we always strive to be successful. It's no, it's no different than what you're doing with, with your team or, or, or any other coach. Um, so I, I've, I've been blessed that way. I know you made the comment earlier and I kind of jot some notes down while we're talking. You said you're lucky, fortunate, and blessed. And, and that's you. worked extremely hard to afford the opportunities that are in front of you right now so Chad I don't think I knew any better really I mean I, I think that you know I, I think I said earlier you know, it was we were talking last week or before we could, we got on this call is you know I, I there's a guy by the name of Ryan Holiday that, that I read a little bit it's about stoicism and not that I believe all of it but one of, one of the quotes is ego is the enemy mm-hmm. um, firmly believe that I, I never thought I never thought I was good enough to play Goretti. I never thought I was good enough to play at Wesleyan. Um, I never, you know, there's times I'm, I'm sitting in a room surrounded by, you know, the, the VP of, of, of North Shum or the CEO of Deckers. I'm like, what the hell am I doing sitting in this room? I, I think, you know, I, I've always realized that, or I've always had the mindset that I don't deserve to be here. I better work awful hard and be lucky. And, and, you know, it's probably held me back a little bit, but mm-hmm. it's also not having that, not having an ego, realizing that I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. I want to sit there and I want to listen, work hard. It's, it's, it's worked. It's been a formula that's worked for me. It might not work for everyone, but it's, it, it's been, been something that's been important to me that I, I've kind of lived by. Well, I know you're a busy guy. I know you have some stuff to do at 10 o'clock, and, and I appreciate your time. I want to bring you back on because I'm going to leave this real quick before we hop off. You and I text about Chris Heron all the time and, and the, the mental health impact that we have both in the world, you know, with ourselves that we battle through different things. I'd like to talk to you about that because I think that's just as important as all the stuff that we've just brought up that people don't understand mental health and how um, tough it is for those who go through it and addictions and all that kind of stuff that Chris Heron talks about. I'd love to have you back on to discuss everything like that, too. You know, Chad, I, I think that's, I, I've watched, can't agree with you 100% more, and, that the, and you talked about your, your kids and coaching and how you've had to adjust a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I do, I, I think the dynamics in today's society as it relates to mental health and, and not only youth, but us as well, um, it's, a, it's a different, maybe it was there. 20, 30, 40 years ago, and, and we weren't aware of it. Um, 
but it, it's it's critical and it's critical in the business world it's critical in, in, in what you're doing um, but Chris's film you know he's got a couple films but the the one that he's released recently the documentary the first day I've watched it about 10 times okay. and you know I, I don't struggle with with drug or, or alcohol addiction Same. Um, every time I've watched it I've picked up something new and different that's either helped me as a person or helped me become a better parent um, or helped me become a better leader. And it's, it's, there's so many things that he talks about that are applicable to so many different parts of your lives. It's not just about, you know, addiction per se. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that mental health aspect is, you, know, you, you, you could have a whole series on that. And um, no, I, I'd love to talk more about that because there's, there's, I, I think it's probably the most important thing we should be talking about today. I, I totally agree. I mean, I go, as I told you the other day, I go to therapy two days a week and, uh, you know, I, I fight through that. Some days are better than others, but it's stuff that I enjoy doing. And um, because I, I look forward to it because I know that I'm getting healthier and that's the easiest way to put it is I'm healing. Um, and as I heal, I can help others heal. And that's how I view it. And, and I take a lot of the Chris stuff, you know, you know, I started this podcast real quick that, um, I just wanted to be able to get people to step away from the everyday chaos of life for a little bit, whether it be an hour or 35 minutes or whatever, that they could just kind of veg out while they're driving home and not have to listen to the radio talk about what happened today in the news or, you know, negative stuff. I just wanted to give them a positive. And Chris talks about when he had his first speech, I just want to help one kid. And I'm kind of the same way with this podcast. I just want to help one person have a better day. And if I could do that over time, I think I'm going to hit a lot of people. There's a cumulative effect there. I mean, it's no different for us. I mean, we're, we're, we say we'll, we'll take one or two interns a summer. And, and if, we, if we can impact one or, or two kids and get them launched in the right direction that they really want to go where they have a passion, mm-hmm. that, that's much more important than helping 100 kids at one time. Absolutely. So... I know but, um, you're busy. No, I, I've enjoyed this chat, and, and, and thanks for having me on. And glad to come back. And you know, there there are some other things. You know, we we talk a little bit about the, the ALS story, and, and I'd love some to other things. You know, I think all ties into the whole mental health thing. You, you do want to talk about? Absolutely, so, I'd love to have you on here sooner. We can talk about the ALS. The guys that are involved with that will be really fun to talk about. Maybe we could get some of those guys to come on and then talk about mental health. So, perfect, Dave. I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Be good, Chad. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Very blessed to have Dave on the show today. As you can tell, he's been successful both on and off the basketball court, and I was very uh, lucky to have the opportunity to share that knowledge with you guys today. This is the show on Wednesday. Tomorrow will be Thursday. We look forward to talking to you then. Thank you for listening to Never My Wildest Dreams podcast, and we will talk to you soon.